Welcome to Zimmerman Podcast, episode 56. Today, I'm sitting down with Michelle Giovanni, an incredible educator and coach who focuses on helping her students achieve their dreams in a spiritually conscious, wholehearted way. Michelle has such a peaceful presence and is a master at finding unity both inside ourselves and in the world and the people around us. I loved listening to the wisdom Michelle shared, whether it was about white allyship, racial inclusion, cultivating self-identity, or how to rewrite your story to live your true purpose. I know you're going to love listening to Michelle as much as I did. All right, you ready? Let's do it. Welcome to the Zimmerman Podcast with your host, CEO, wedding professional, educator, and mom, Jessica Zimmerman. In just two years, Jessica went from facing bankruptcy to taking home a six-figure salary. She turned a business-saving $100,000 loan into a million-dollar empire. As a creative entrepreneur, a healthy work-life balance seems just as unattainable as a six-figure income. But Jessica Zimmerman is here to show you it's possible. With the right tools and insider tips and some hard work, your craziest dreams can become your daily routine. If you set some boundaries and commit to healthy changes, you can create a business and a life you love. So let's make your business work for you. Welcome to Zimmerman Podcast, Michelle. How are you? Hi, Jessica. How are you? Thank you for having me. You are so welcome. Uh, Thank you for being here on the podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you about what it looks like to find your purpose and how to have personal freedom. But before we do that, let's dive into your own personal story a little bit. Can you tell us who, who you are, what you do, and what you are learning right now? Yes. Uh, thank you, Jessica. So my name is Michelle Giovanni and who I am is very tricky to articulate because I really resist labels. But if I would have to give myself a label, I'm a spiritual life and business coach. I'm a quantum teacher, a quantum healer. I support people in really living and activating their full potential so that they can align to their greatness now. And as we all know, the world so needs it so needs everyone to be aligned with their purpose, their mission, and fully activated in what they have to offer the world. Mm, Yes. Part of your personal story is being from the Dominican Republic. If you'd be willing to share, what have these past couple weeks been like for you as a woman of color in America in light of the more collective consciousness of the Black Lives Matter movement? Well, it's interesting because I'm I'm one of the lighter skinned Latinas, right? So I haven't experienced directly the the injustices that my black brothers and sisters experience on a daily. Um, but as a young girl growing up in the Dominican Republic, I was always exposed to racial injustice, classism and sexism. I mean, you name it, right? Our country is still learning how to have these boundaries really be honored. And so growing up, I would see a friend of mine who's dark skinned, not be welcome to certain restaurants that we all just really walked into. And so all of us would get up and leave because he wasn't allowed to come inside. And that was very jarring for me at the time. In the last few weeks, I feel like this is a great turning point where a lot of people are 
in the shadows of it and really experiencing it from someone else's perspective. I think George Floyd was the tipping point of something that happens on a daily and goes unnoticed, unsaid. And not that it's unnoticed by the Black Indigenous people of color. I think it's something that, as a society, a lot of people have been turning a blind eye to just because it doesn't directly affect them. But in that, I think we're all waking up to how we've all been part of the problem in that and just really taking ownership of our awareness and holding space for this great purge, this great awakening that's happening for all of us. It's interesting times. <laughs> mm-hmm. And isn't it interesting how it is, it's taken a, a global pandemic to, you know, we're where people aren't working their 40-hour-a-week jobs and they aren't distracted by that and distracted by sports and concerts and activities and all of those things. I mean, we really are home and and forced to look at this. And I, for one, am really grateful for that because part of me has even wondered, huh, I wonder if this whole hustle, hustle, work, work, work is deliberate, if that is meant to be a distraction so that we don't pay attention. Absolutely. I'm so glad that you said that, Jessica, because it's so is a distraction. You know, I'm a firm believer that the moment we are born, we're born into a prison. And it's not one with concrete walls that takes away our liberties, but it's one that enslaves us into a debt system. The moment we go into school, we're taught histories that are, you know, written by the winners of the history that have a very biased point of view. And there has been a lot of how do I say this? A lot of distractions that play out, right? You go into college and you occur this debt if you don't come from a wealthy background that you're paying off and you're hustling and you're doing all the things to be able to provide. And I don't, I'm not sure how it is where you live, Jessica, but in New York, it's really expensive. And so mm-hmm. a lot of people are enslaved to this debt matrix that keeps you distracted from actually thinking for yourself and being able to harness the power that we have to create our reality. But if we're constantly being distracted, even with our social media gadgets, right? A lot of times you look at people and these tools were meant to connect us, but now they're being used to distract us continuously. And mm-hmm. if they have us distracted from our focus or presence or our attention, then we're not able to co-create with deliberate intention, the reality that we want to experience for ourselves. We're always in reaction. Oh, that is so true. That is so well said. Thank you for saying that. I have a student who shared that she went into work the day after George Floyd's death and she was visibly upset and hurting and not one of her white colleagues checked in on her or asked how she was doing or even asked her, you know, what was wrong. I asked her if there was anything I could be doing to make her feel more seen and heard. I think a lot of Zimmerman podcast listeners look like me. They're they're white women and they're trying to figure out their role in anti-racist work, but also in just trying to be there, you know, for our black friends without burdening them with white guilt because that's that's n- nothing that they need, right? I mean, they don't need that. Can you share any ways that you felt supported, seen, and heard, or ways that you wish white people would show up for you, not just on social media, but in real life? That's such a great question. I think we all just want to really feel 
like our voices are heard. And so if there's a space when we can share and really speak on what's on our heart without being dismissed or disinvalidated just because the other person hasn't experienced it, I think that's a great starting point. I wrote this in my social media is that if you're struggling financially, the best thing you can do is become self-sustainable, right? But if you are one of these white women that are in a very privileged position of power of, you know, you have a team, you have a company, hire black people, make sure that your surrounding is diverse, make sure that your messaging includes all voices, because that is the real turning point. I think a lot of people are speaking it. And what's happening, in my opinion, and I may get this wrong, is that there's a lot of shaming and there's a lot of guilting in the white guilt and in and also in in the anger that's being felt by our black indigenous people of color in this anger no one's listening no one's really receiving no one's really honoring the different perspectives i think there's something to be said about really creating safe spaces that nurture each other's voices and has everyone feel heard and feel seen feel honored in their messaging and their branding. And not just now because it's trending. I mean, forever from here on out, what can you do in your messaging and your branding to include voices of color, to make sure that your perspective is also inclusive of the people that are not being given that space or time right now. Oh, that's so good. I I think you're right. I think we are drowning in information, but we're so thirsty for wisdom. You know, it's like, there's so much information out there and we just have to really be present and research on our own and do our own work and, and everything. Yeah. And I love what you said about a diverse team. I know, you know, for me personally, my team were remote, you know, and so I know there's a lot of people who will say, well, I live in this area or this area, you know, and I think, gosh, we're in 2020. I mean, isn't almost everybody remote now? I mean, that's not even <laughs> Um, And so, you know, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. You are an incredible educator, teacher, businesswoman. What are some ways that white people can make sure we're not taking advantage of black people and asking black educators to give us private lessons, you know, on how to be anti-racist in their in their DMs? Pay them. It's really simple. I think that we're living in a world where everybody wants free information. And like you said, it's it's so much information, but really honor them by paying them hire them, give them the stage to teach you and, and then make it a point to actually be the student. Don't just do it because you're performing, right? That's, that's something that I, I wanted to touch on is that a lot of people are performing because they want to belong. It's so important to just really lean in with curiosity and compassion that, yeah, you may not know what Black people go through right now, have been going through for ever since the beginning of times. And I really want to honor white women that are trying. I don't think that is being said enough in social media land. There are people that are genuinely trying and are being felt uh, shamed, you know, feeling, uh, feeling that guilt. I don't think we are responsible for what our ancestors did in no way. And I don't believe that we should be crucifying people that are genuinely trying. 
But I think it's a point to just simply pay, pay the people that you want to teach, hire them, make sure your team is educated and that you're doing the work in the best way that you can. And when you see someone in your neighborhood or in your community saying things that may be out of line, that's your moment to actually speak up and, and hold space for a deeper awareness to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think this is the second time I've ever cried on this podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, that was just all really beautifully said. I mean, just as someone who is white and just, um, you know, my daughter's best friend is Latina and, um, one of my closest friends here is Latina. She's from Honduras. And I just, when I saw this happening, it just wasn't a question, you know, to, to, to speak up. And then there's that um, inner work that you have to do that goes, well, why, why am I just now feeling compelled to speak up? And, and I think I had to really look and, and go, I was really brought up to be colorblind. And my friend who's from Honduras, she said, I know your heart. And so I understand where that comes from, that you see us all equal and you, and you don't treat us differently. And so if you don't treat us differently, then, then you don't see this problem because it's not a problem in your circle. You know, you have friends of color and stuff. And, and she said, but I need you to see my color and I need you to see my daughter's color. And I need you to teach your daughter to see my daughter's color. And it was the most beautiful, honest conversation. And I was so grateful for that. And this conversation actually happened a few weeks before George Floyd's death. And I started doing this work of just, I don't follow very many people on Instagram anyway. I try to follow 200 or less. And it's because I don't want to get, you know, caught up in the scroll. And I looked and I thought, gosh, there's not near enough diversity in who I follow. So I just started, you know, researching and following different people. And I found very quickly that my, um, my feed was more interesting. My feed was uh, more diverse, more colorful. I was learning. It wasn't just more of the same, you know, it was actually, I, for the first time was getting on the platform and enjoying it because I felt like I was learning. And I think that honestly is why I really spoke up because I was actually seeing black voices around the time of George Floyd's death. And so it just was a no brainer to speak out for me. But I do think that there are, are people that are, you know, just now kind of doing that work. And I mean, I'm included in that. I, I am as well, but I just want to be an ally and I don't want, I don't want to talk about me in this. I just want to 99% of my listeners right now are white women, you know, and I want them to feel like we just need to be an ally. And like you said, if we want to learn from black women, let's pay black women. Let's not just expect that for free. And let's, if we have a platform, let's do what we can to share, uh, you know, women of color and their, their voices, their art, their, their, their books, their creative um, work. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you saying that and, and really sharing so vulnerably because I think a lot of people are probably feeling like you where they don't know what's the best way to support and they, they're like, damned if I do, damned if I don't, right? So they're like, all right, well, 
paralysis. This is where they tend to overthink and they're judging every move they make. And I think we don't need that. What we need is your true, honest expression. And if you mess up, we get to hold space, just like we would for a child, right? When a child makes a mistake, we don't just yell at them and scream at them and condemn them. I mean, we used to back in the days, right? But now it's about really nurturing that child's expression and cultivating their awareness so that they see, oh, that didn't work. So let me try this now. And when we learn to honor the different perspectives, now we can truly build a community that honors and has everyone feel safe. And it's not just you, Jessica, the whole world has been whitewashed, right? We've been programmed to not see color. Even as a Latina in my country, when if you go to other parts of the world, like India, what they're being shown on TV, on their billboards and their marketing from the very time of infancy is white women. That is the symbol of beauty, right? White, 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 wherever you go. And so people are growing up in a world where they're not seeing themselves. And I think what's happening is really beautiful. It's also very challenging. It's also a very tricky time to navigate through all these hurt and wounds that are speaking from a nerve that has been pulsing for years, that has been ignored. And, you know, something that I saw recently happen last week with um, Refinery is uh, this magazine and, and media company where they revealed that they don't hire a diverse team. And yet their voice, their marketing pitches to Latinas and Black women, but they're not hiring internally Black and Latina voices, right? And when they revealed their pay wages discrepancies, they noticed that the white women, the white men were getting paid a lot more, substantially a lot more than the others. And so this is a great time that we're living because we're seeing all that needs to be healed, all that is just being unveiled and revealed for us to just take full ownership. And if it's in one of us, it's in all of us. If, if the one wave is contaminated, the entire ocean has it. And so this isn't about pointing fingers. This is about looking in the mirror. Okay, there's a lot of racial injustice. There's a lot of things happening that are not right. And this isn't about right or wrong, but what would work for all of us to live in a world where we all thrive, where we all feel safe. And so if we see it, then we have it. And now we get to dive within and do the work to untether from within so we can heal these conversations at a deeper level, not just at the surface. Oh, you're so well-spoken. And I just love how thoughtful you are with you know each word. It's it's really inspiring. I just love, I just love listening you. to you. I think that... Um, you know, if there was one thing that I personally have found help with, it has been, you know, diversifying who I follow. Mm -hmm. And I just want to encourage everyone out there to take a second to look at your feed, to look at who you're following, and to really um, make a, because I just believe there was something that was posted, Michelle, that I mean, it hit me like a dagger. I mean, just straight through the heart. And I was like, oh my gosh, how have I never, how have I never seen this before? And as a mom, it just, it slapped me into reality. And it was, if you as a white mom 
have just white dolls for your daughter and just have white superheroes for your sons and the books have white characters and then how are you teaching anti-racism? Like how are you, you may not be racist whatsoever, but you're not doing the active work to be anti-racist, which means being inclusive. And we have to start teaching that at a young age. And I tell you, my daughter has four dolls and I went and looked and they were all white. And I immediately got on uh, the internet and bought a black doll and a Latina doll because I just thought you're, you're exactly right. Like, how did I not see that? You know, I don't know. I think we think, but the people we hang out with are, are diverse, but it's, it's more than that. We've got to be anti-racist. And I think for, you know, if all you're consuming is the voices of white people, that that's going to come through. And so I just want to encourage you to diversify who you're following so that you can genuinely have other voices, you know, that you are consuming so that, because uh, we, we, we put out what we consume. Absolutely. What you're sharing is, is is real you know this is something that we all get to look at even in the very minor details so thank you thank you for saying that yeah absolutely if there's one thing you wish all white people knew about your experience as a latina from dominican american um what would it be i think it would be to just to know that we're all different and that's what makes us all beautiful i think that when in my experience, when a white woman has seen me growing up, and not all, I really want to preface that, that not all, but sometimes there is this intimidation that happens between women and white women versus women of color. There's this, there's this intimidation because they're different and maybe it's their curves, maybe it's the way that they express themselves, maybe it's how they express their emotions, their anger, maybe they're more passionate, maybe they're more loud. So a lot of times we're, we're taught to fear what's different and to surround ourselves by like-minded individuals, which I, I agree to some degree. But check in where you are fearing your neighbor and where you're not celebrating our differences. And I think that's what I would love for all women, despite whether they're white or black or Latina is where can we lean in and actually celebrate our differences, celebrate our uniqueness. And in that lean in with curiosity and compassion in the parts that we resist, whether it's she's so loud or she's so obnoxious or whatever, instead of saying she's so this, hmm, I wonder what played into that. I wonder what's underneath that. How can I lean in and actually have this sister feel my sisterhood in this moment. That's so good. Yeah. If there's if there's one thing that you believe would successfully bring about the change so many want to see in how Black people and people of color are treated in society, what would that one thing be? Hmm. I think it goes for me to the very basic of being human. If we can just really lean into our humanity, if you see a black person, say hi, greet them, greet them with a smile, make sure they feel welcomed. If you're in a space where someone is rude or disrespectful or in any way just dismissive of a black person in front of you, speak up, 
speak up as if that was your sister or your child. And that the more we do that, then they know that we're not alone, mm-hmm. that we are a tribe and that it truly takes a village and we're all in this village together. Thank you so much for taking the time to answer those questions. You are so good at what you do. So let's go ahead and let's focus on the incredible good that you're doing in the world through your business. I love how so much of what you share focuses on listening to ourselves and our intuition. I like to think that if we just stopped overthinking and started listening to our guts, that we'd be able to pivot into our true callings a lot quicker. Do you think there were early warning signs that you weren't meant for the financial industry? Oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) What does those look like? And do you wish you had paid attention sooner? Yeah, I mean, from the very beginning, Jessica, I just felt trapped. You know, I landed my mother's dream job, but I hated it from day one. I felt like a fish out of water. Um, The whole coming in, it felt prestigious. It felt like I was in this amazing position in Wall Street with amazing hours and a great pay, but I was miserable. And I think a lot of times we conform to the things that society expects of us, or maybe our mom or parents, and we want to do good by fitting in, but we're actually being the biggest disservice to ourselves. I think um, from a very young age, I knew, and I would say this, I knew I wanted to change the world. I would sit in front of a TV, and, and I don't know how old you are, Jessica, but in my times, there was these big wooden box TVs in the living room, and I would sit in front of it and just start writing everything that the news anchors would say during this time. There was a war, and we had news reporters that were in the actual war scenes, right? And they were just reporting what's happening. And I would write and write and write. And my mom would ask me, why are you writing? And I'm like, well, if I can learn how to report the news, then I can be in that scene and I could stop the war, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally naive. But what I'm trying to say is from when you were young, everybody has these like this knowing of what they want to do. And I think if we start growing up and we start listening to the people around us because we want their validation, we want their approval. But a lot of times it's our very own family members, the ones that gave up on their dreams that start killing our own dreams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's super important to start listening to yourself and seeking those examples that really have you come alive. You know, the people that you look up to, and there will always be someone that strikes you like, oh, who is that person? Look and see what about them inspires you and how can you start leaning into that within yourself? Absolutely. Absolutely. I I agree. I say all the time that I think we're born, you know, with, um, with knowing exactly what our, our strengths are, our talents, our curiosities, our, our gifts. And that as we start to grow, you know, society gets more involved or we get made fun of or something happens and, those start to be squashed to when, you know, you, you turn 18 and somebody says, what do you want to do? What are you passionate about? The answer is, I don't know. I'm not passionate about anything just because it's been so shot down so many times um, to where you, you don't even remember it. And I always say my biggest responsibility as a mom is to watch my young, young children and what they're interested in. 
and to make sure they don't lose that. Would you pay a dollar a day for more energy, focus, and drive? That's what I get with Beekeepers Naturals Bee-Powered Superfood Honey. Every day, I take a spoonful of their bee-powered honey, and every night, I go to bed after my kids, which is saying a lot. Before bee-powered, I'd be totally out of energy by 4 p.m. Can anyone relate? Running a growing business while being a mom to three kids, including some pretty wild twin boy toddlers, it's exhausting. But with Bee Powered, I feel more focused and driven than I have in a while, like maybe even before kids. You know I wouldn't try to sell you something that I don't believe in and actually use myself, but I love my Bee Powered, and now I honestly can't imagine my life without it. If you want 15% off Bee Powered, go to ZimmermanPodcast.com slash B to get yours today. That's ZimmermanPodcast.com slash B-E-E. How much of your motivation to stay at your conventional financial job was motivated by what society says is a good job or a safe choice? A lot, a lot. Um, I would say the, the security of having a job, the, the paycheck, the stability. The funny thing is, Jessica, that I struggled more <laughs> in a corporate job financially than ever. And I think it's because, you know, Uncle Sam takes half when yeah. you're in a certain bracket. So there goes that. So every time I looked at that paycheck, I was like, what the? <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so for me, you know, the universe spoke loud when the whole AIG crisis happened, the housing market, that bubble just burst. And working in Wall Street, we knew ahead of time that that was happening. And so whenever we, and it wasn't just me, started seeing the red flags, a lot of the responses were stick to your pay grade. Um, yep, we'll handle that. But there was no genuine like ownership of like, listen, this is going to tip and it's going to be bad. And so when it happened, I remember one of my um, one of my bosses at the time made a had a meeting with all of the auditors, and he said, "We're going to have a meeting one on one with you, and if you want to get laid off now, then you'll leave through one door, and if you are choosing to stay and get laid off nine months later, then you can leave through the other door." And I remember, like yesterday, I was the only one that chose the first door. I just knew. I knew without a doubt that my time was up and I wasn't sure. I had no idea what I was going to do, how I was going to do it. I just knew that I didn't want to work in corporate. I didn't want to work for someone else for the rest of my life. I hear that 100%. <laughs> my husband worked in finance and I truly believe it almost cost him his life. Um, I actually wow. wrote about it in um, in a book called Sleeping with a Stranger. But he'd spent so much time and money trying to achieve this thing that he thought he wanted. I don't know. It can be hard to give up something you've worked so hard for. You know, I mean, he had he had spent money and gotten licenses and taken tests and he had an MBA. I mean, all these things. But especially when you feel like people you love are counting on you, you know, to stay stable, you feel like you've got to stay. But you know, meanwhile, I wanted him to quit that job more than anything. Did you kind of experience any of that? I think I was more fortunate because I didn't have a family. I didn't have children. Um, I was on my own. So I, I did have that 
freedom to struggle by choice if needed, right? I also, when I moved to this country, I was homeless for three months. So I ran away from Dominican Republic from a domestic abuse situation. And that had me, this experience of being homeless had me really not need much. So I knew that this was the time and that the universe was giving me a, a, a really big signal, take it or leave it. This is the moment. <laughs> this is it. Right. May I ask you a question about that? Yeah, please. What was that like? I mean, you that takes such bravery to say no more and I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to run away. I mean, did you have to really plan that out? No, there was no planning that went into that or savings. Um, my mom was married to an alcoholic stepfather. My stepfather was very abusive, very, very abusive. And he beat her senseless so many times throughout five years. He burned our house down twice. And my mom kept choosing him. And I was the eldest of four. And it, it made me very angry. I don't know any other way to say it, but I was just very angry with her choices and, and the fact that this man was still, you know, being chosen after he would do all this to her. Why do you, why um, do you think she kept choosing him? I think because she was looking for love mm. externally. I think she, she really did love this man, but I don't think she loved herself enough to know that this wasn't love. Right. And I think when a woman is being abused to such extreme ways, there is this belief or this need to, to try and, and be the one that has him change. Um, but a lot of times it doesn't work well and it didn't work well for her. And, and she learned many hard lessons. Um, but I reached a point where I said enough, I couldn't live like that anymore. And I ran away and I just pawned my necklace and I bought a one-way flight and I chose New York because of the Frank Sinatra song. If you can make it in New York, you yeah. can make it anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't quite get that until I was in the South Bronx homeless. I'm like, oh, okay, it's rough out here. That's why he said it. <laughs> From the Dominican Republic, you got on a flight, landed in New York. What did you think? Because that, that is night and day. Night and day. And I was outside of the airport, it was snowing. It was Thanksgiving Eve, 1999. And I had never seen snow. And I was just looking out. And I'm like, what now? And I think I was in the daze for a while because I didn't have a jacket. I didn't have a coat. So I was cold, but I was numb. I didn't feel the cold. It was so interesting. And there was this police officer that came up to me. And by the way, I didn't have any suitcase. I didn't have a purse. I had a very mini little purse that only fit a cell phone and a wallet, but I didn't even have a cell phone. I had How old a, were you? I was 17. Oh my I was God. 17. And I looked 14. <laughs> I was 60 pounds. So this police officer saw me and I think he was really taken aback by how I was just looking out into the open with no one coming. And he came up to me. He's like, what's wrong? Are you okay? And I just shared with him what I had just done. And he was like, oh, okay. And he wrote down, he made some phone calls and he wrote down the name and address of a shelter mm. in the Bronx. 
Now, I had never taken trains, so I get on the train, and I am on this train, Jessica, paranoid. I'm looking and just afraid of everything. Of course. But I didn't want to leave. I didn't know how to get off. I didn't know how to switch trains, so I spent the first two days on that train. I slept in the train. I went to the bathroom in the train stations. And then on the second day, I had this like panic attack of like, no, I need to eat. I need to figure out. I need to get out of here. And so I found another cop and I just started crying and telling him what had happened. He got on the train with me, took me to the address that I was going to and kind of just put me in the shelter. And it was it was really interesting because the South Bronx is very scary. It's very interesting in shelters. You know, you have a lot of people with mental disorders that are experiencing a lot of pain, that are in suffering. So it was a very interesting world. But because I had gone through so much back at home, anything was just kind of like an adventure from there on out. The the knowing that I was free and that I was a f- free to make my choices and free to live my life the way I wanted was was huge for me at that moment. Did you tell your family you were leaving? No, I told my mom. I called my mom a week later and I called her from a payphone and I told her that I was in New York. And she didn't believe me because she had my passport. That's a whole nother story. Um, but she didn't believe me. And I said, nope, it's true. I'm, I'm here and I just want you to know that I'm okay. And that was it. And so then you had to go through all the work eventually to get all that. To get my passport, my social security. My friends in DR, my friends from high school, had sent me an email and they were saying, Michelle, come with us to college. We're going to Manhattanville College in New York. And I said, what do I need to do? (laughs) And they did all the work for me and I'll always be in gratitude to to them because they got my essays, they got my transcripts, they filled out the application, they filled out FAFSA for me. And within less than a month, I was already accepted into Manhattanville College. I mean, I just look at that story and I think that is incredible and just what bravery that took and and just determination and perseverance and everything. I think that's incredible. How long was it Um, from when you were in the shelter to when you, you know, had a place of your own or, you know, felt safe on your own? So I was in the shelter for two months and then I moved in with a family relative for a month. And then my mother came because she was hearing that I was very skinny, that I had lost a lot of weight and that a lot of people were concerned that had seen me. And it's true. The, the first two months I was that I was homeless, they were curfews in the shelter that I didn't always meet because I didn't have a phone or a watch to keep sure. time. Sure. <laughs> so a lot of times I was lost just finding my way around. Right. Yeah. So um, there were times where I had to sleep in the streets and parks and um, I didn't eat for days at a time. And so when I would eat because my stomach was closed, I would throw up and when my cousin and I linked up, he realized how bad it had gotten. And so he offered for me to move into his house. And even that was a tricky situation because he had a very jealous 
girlfriend. And so a lot of times I, I slept in the park anyway, um, just not to deal with that. But the whole takeaway from my story that I would say for anybody experiencing domestic abuse or in a relationship where they may be experiencing some of the things that I saw, you're not alone. And it's so important to really dive in and ask yourself, who am I? What do I want to do with my life? If I could write anything, if my story was unwritten and I wanted to rewrite the story from a blank canvas, what is that story? And when I saw and lived in the homeless shelters, Jessica, I saw a lot of people in pain, mm-hmm. a lot of people that had given up on themselves, that had no faith in who they were. And I think as a woman of faith, I, I know what's possible when people connect to their higher power, connect to something much bigger than themselves, connect to God. You know, I respect everyone's belief and I, I personally believe in God. I know that a lot of my faith and courage came from my relationship with God in a home that was broken, that I felt I didn't belong. That was what kept me alive. Sleeping with a Stranger is officially available everywhere books are sold in hardcover, paperback, ebook, and audiobook. Since the book's launch, I've been amazed by how it's been received. From being named a bestseller by USA Today, The Wall Street Journal, Amazon, and Barnes and Noble, to incredibly personal and touching reviews from my amazing readers, it's been such a wild journey. Here's one of my favorite reviews I love the honesty of this book. It is real and raw and doesn't hold back, and that is why it is so mesmerizing. I could relate on so many levels, and I know it must have been so hard to write about many of these very personal and taboo topics. I couldn't put the book down. It was such an easy and enlightening read. I highly recommend this to anyone who is soul-searching or just looking for some perspective. Truth is better than fiction. I can't wait to share this story with you. To get your copy... Go to jessicazimmerman.com today or wherever books are sold. And to make sure you get all my upcoming book tour updates, join the newsletter list now. Was there a part of your childhood at all growing up where you were interested in, uh, you know, spirituality and, you know, manifestation and things like that? I didn't know any of it existed. <laughs> um, I think from a very young age, I was the one that people came to. Um, I think they saw my courage and I was always a deep thinker and I loved having these kinds of conversations, but it was a lot for some people, right? So people came to me with their stories, with their concerns. I was the one that all of my friends would come and confide in. Um, I didn't know about manifestation. I was always having a very interesting spiritual connection at a very young age. So when all of this was happening with my mom, I, I really believe that the pain that I was experiencing had me turn inward and had me awaken my, my clairs and had me pray with a very deep faith. And I think when a child that has gone through so much praise with such conviction, some things start to open up for me. And so I started to have visitations from, from spiritual beings and, and this might get too woo-woo, but I just really 
connected on a higher level that there is uh, an illusion playing out that this is a this is all a mirror and that we are creating and co-creating and that we have a power to affirm the reality that we want but I didn't know about manifestation until much later in my 20s when I started to really get more signs from spirit about what my role was in this whole dynamic. So when you talk about, you know, personal freedom, how does that play into your life's purpose, into finding, you know, your life's purpose? That's where it begins. When we can free ourselves from everything and anything that we've been attached, whether it's been on a thought level, whether it's been on a relationship, when we free ourselves to all of these emotional attachments, we can start to dive deeper into our soul and we can start cultivating that freedom from within, knowing that anything that you want in life, you have the power to create it because you have the source that creates all of it. So for example, people get really stuck with finances. I want more money. I want to live the life. I want this. I want that. And a lot of times, and maybe you saw this with your husband, and I saw this with a lot of people in Wall Street, they make money the thing, the thing that has more power than them, the thing that they need to be to feel self-worthy, to feel like they're powerful. Have you ever seen a man that has not done any inner work and isn't making money? The man feels really powerless. They feel like they don't amount to anything. And so when we allow things that we have this emotional attachment to rule who we be in the world, then we're in the biggest trap there is in the matrix. We're in a prison because you're giving the product of your consciousness more power than your consciousness. And your thoughts, your money, your house, your children, your family, they're all a byproduct of your consciousness. And so personal freedom begins at the root, at the inception of consciousness with who you think you are, who do you believe you are. And in that self-identity of how you see yourself, then we start to create strong relationships of, okay, well, if I am this powerful woman, then let's see how far we can go. Let's see what we want to create. Let's dive into the love, the relationship of our dreams that we want to cultivate. Let's dive into the relationship that we want to have with our children, the, the experience that I want to have in my house, in my home, moment to moment. And that comes from within. Gosh, that's so good. So, so good. What do you think keeps people from pursuing their life's purpose once they start getting, you know, like little whispers of what it might be? What do you think stops them? Oh, man, there's so many things that play out. I really do believe it's in the identity. I think what stops people is the belief in who they are. A lot of people think, yeah, that Jessica, you did it, but I'll never be able to do that, right? And so we're seeing symbols in our reality, like the president is a symbol, for example, the singers, the, the rappers, the, the clothing line, the things that we aspire to attach ourselves to so that that symbol gives us a certain affirmation in who we are, right? So whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, there's, there's a certain symbol that you're attaching yourself to 
And so I really believe it's in who we believe we are and what we're capable of doing. Diving deeper into that narrative of who you say you are. So if I were to ask you, Jessica, right now, if you could just title the movie of your life, if you had the ability to just stop yourself and say, okay, if my movie ended right now, what would be the movie, the title of my movie? Abundance. Abundance. Beautiful. Then you believe that you are abundant. Yeah. Then in that abundance, you believe anything is possible. Yeah, I do. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So if we pay attention to the narratives that are playing out from the story writer, from the author's perspective, then you're able to start doing the work to clean up these attachments to things that are outside of you that really do nothing for you except confuse you even more. What would your title be? Greatness. Oh, that's good. That's really <laughs> good. Yeah, absolutely. What are some practical steps that our listeners can take when they know they have a dream life they want to live, but they're afraid to pursue it? Like what's something that they can do? I, I mean, I know for me, this has just been... And this is part of, you know, the, in the story, Sleeping with a Stranger, but it's just been a bit over a year where I've really started meditating and, you know, being still. And really, I think from a very young age, I've always believed that anything was possible. And I think in a way I manifested this life without knowing it was manifestation. You know, we learned that mm -hmm. term later. But so it's it's it hasn't been a long time for me that I've been really like in tune with myself and and like I said, meditating. So for me, that's something that's really helped. But what are some other practical steps that you know our listeners can take so that they can start living their dream life and, and stop being afraid of it? Right. That's so good. I think the first step is create a blank canvas and really dream from all possibilities. Right? A lot of times people dream from what they think is possible. And I think that's the first place that starts trumping their vision and, and having them settle for what they think they can get. So really getting clear from a blank canvas, what is the life of my dreams? And allowing yourself to dream out loud with zero attention or concern on how. The more you can come alive and feel those butterflies for what you're dreaming, start seeing yourself in that vision. So for me, what was really powerful, creating a vision board. Before I knew about the law of attraction, I created a vision board because I, I wanted to see on the outside what my dream life would look and feel like. And so create a vision board for yourself that excites you, that every day you can see and spend five minutes with it, where you're just sitting in front of it, sending love to those images, re-anchoring those images in your subconscious mind so that your subconscious mind knows that this or something better. And as you pay and sit with it five minutes a day with it, you'll be able to drop in and start cultivating the frequency of those images within yourself. So you can start matching it and attracting it and manifesting it from the inside out. Mm -hmm. I would also say shadow work is super important. A lot of times we want to spiritually bypass the yucky feelings in life. But when you're angry, when you're moody, when you are sad, when you're frustrated, sit in front of that vision board and allow that energy, 
that static that's happening inside of you to look at something so that those emotions are accelerating that frequency within you. What I mean by shadow work is allowing yourself to sit in the discomfort that comes up because sometimes whatever you're feeling is being flushed up from inside out so that it can come out of you. And if we're just suppressing these emotions, if we're not allowing ourselves to feel the sadness, the frustration, the anger, then we're always going to be on a surface level and we're not building the container to hold our vision when it does manifest. That's when self-sabotage comes in, right? (laughs) Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like to believe that your purpose doesn't happen without pain. Like you yeah. have to experience your pain in order to know who your truest self is. In order to get to that, you've got to go through all the pain and you've got to sit with it, even though it's not fun. But I love what you said about just sitting back in front of your vision board when you're having those yucky days. I mean, yesterday was just a yucky day for me. I was, I just felt everything felt so heavy. I felt like, kind of what we were talking about earlier. I'm not doing enough. I'm speaking too much. I'm, you know, I want to say more. I don't want to say the wrong thing, you know, just all of that. And I just felt a little bit defeated. Like I just paralyzed and I, I just kind of had a day where I sat with it. I mean, my husband was like, what can I do? And I was like, nothing. I just have to sit with this today and just feel it. And, but I wish I would have sat in front of my vision board and just looked at that and, and let the energy from that help. That's such a good piece of advice. I'm going to, I'm going to take that with me for sure. Yeah. I think it'll be really powerful because a lot of times we make these emotions wrong, right? They don't feel good, but they're really powerful. Mm -hmm. So much gets done from those emotions. And And the deeper we can dive in and to hold all of our emotions and make space for all of them to be felt and honored and expressed, that is when the true integration happens and the true embodiment happens. Yeah. Gosh, I could talk to you all day. I feel like you and I um, are, you know, when you were saying like your friends come to you with the heavy stuff, it's same. Um, They don't come to me to just, you know, chit chat. Um, I believe, you know, if you're not bearing your soul, like what's the point in talking? (laughs) So I feel like you and I could talk all day. I value your time. I don't want to keep you anymore, but I do want to ask you one last question. I ask every person I interview this question. I always love to hear their answers. If you had Oprah's money, so you had billions of dollars, and you had to spend it on yourself, something totally selfish, what would it be? Oh, wow. See, my mind goes into service right away. So that was a very good twist. I think I would invest in buying land, buying real estate. Mm -hmm. I just have this obsession with buying land and real estate and turning it into something really beautiful in the near future with conscious communities. And that would be selfishly for me because I would have a film studio in there, a recording studio in there, a green screen studio in there. I just love to create. So anything that would mean a music studio, a film studio, cameras, yeah, that's where I would go. Well, I cannot wait to just keep following your career and and see everything you create because gosh if it's coming from you and from the intention of your heart which we've heard today then it's then it's going to be exceptional where can everyone find you and just learn more about you 
Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you can reach me at my website or my social medias. It's all the same handle, michellegiovanni.com. And my second name is spelled interesting. So it's Michelle, double L-E-J-E-O-V-A-N-N-Y. And I just want to thank you, Jessica, for the work that you're doing and for your beautiful heart and stand that you are. I know that these are really tricky times, but your heart is felt. And I just want to honor the work that you are doing. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I have a feeling I'll be thinking about what Michelle shared for a while, and I hope you will too. I loved that she encouraged us to imagine the life we wish we were living and then take action to rewrite our futures. I can't think of any better example than Michelle herself. This week, I hope you'll take time to think about the life you want to be living and take bold steps to make that life a reality. Thanks for tuning into Zimmerman Podcast, and I'll see you right back here next week. If you loved what you heard today, even if you liked it a lot, you should subscribe and leave a review. We'll see you back here next time in the Zimmerman Podcast.